Hand me my sword. That's the name of our series that we are doing on the book of Nehemiah. We're in the process of unfolding or extracting eschatology from the Old Testament. Welcome to our final episode of Hand Me My Sword. The title of today's message is called, It Is Finished, The Final Reform. For a period of time following the wall's dedication, Nehemiah continued to establish a righteous government at Jerusalem. However, Verse 6 today reveals to us that he went back to being a cupbearer to the king. While he was gone, the people returned to committing four great areas of wrong. After the king released him to go and address these wrongs, as per Nehemiah's style, he grabbed the issues at hand and resolved them one at a time. Let's take a look at these four great issues. Number one, compromising relationships. Now we have to keep in mind here that there is an extended period of time where Nehemiah first came in to evaluate, strategically made plans to do the rebuilding of the wall, and immediately encountered the liberal modalities that the Jews were suffering at this time. Then he does the rebuilding of the wall, he reestablishes the law of Moses, and creates this great revival of the people, dedicating their lives to the living God once again. Then the king established him as a governor of the territory, and during that time, Nehemiah practically worked out all the little details that needed to take place to get proper godly governance into the city of Jerusalem. So now here he is coming back after returning to the king to be a cupbearer, and he hears the rumors of how the Jews went back to some of their old stuff. The first thing they did was compromise their relationships. Number two, there was a financial compromising going on within the city. And we'll talk about the details of why that happened and what Nehemiah's method was in restoring the original doctrines a proper financial structure within Jerusalem. Number three, they were guilty of secularizing the Sabbath. This was probably the greatest offense of all four of them, but we will spend time talking about just how they compromised the guidelines God put in place for the Holy Sabbath and what the consequences were. And finally, number four, domestic disobedience. This is a big one when it comes to God because God does not allow the Jews to intermarry within the bloodlines of their people and also the countries or people in the surrounding nations. 
Let's review our scripture for today. This is out of Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 6 through 11. And it says, But during all this time I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had gone to the king. After some time, however, I asked leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil that Elias had done for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. It was very displeasing to me, so I threw all of Torbiah's household goods out of the room. Then I gave up an order, and they cleansed the rooms. I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. So I reprimanded the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. Let's take a look at what is wrong with these people. What is wrong with the people who God invested full restoration in his people, rebuilt the wall in 52 days, reestablished the law of Moses, reconstructed the lives and homes of his people, consistently winning battles against their enemy, but yet after all, it is said and done, they return to their morbid beliefs by violating, compromising relationships, financially jeopardizing their standing, returning to secular views of the Sabbath, and cloaking their minds in domestic disobedience. The answer? Well, the simple answer is sin makes you stupid. But let's take a look at these four areas that got compromised. Before Nehemiah returned from his second period serving the king as a cupbearer, Elisip the priest appointed over the chambers of the house of God as compromise would have it. This priest was a direct relative to Tobiah, Nehemiah's greatest enemy. Furthermore, since day one, Tobiah had been an enemy of God and a thorn in Nehemiah's side. Here we have it. The first enemy of Nehemiah's work became the first compromise of relationships to revert God's people to devotion to family over loyalty to the living God. Thus, upon Nehemiah's return, he arrived at a mess within the house of God that had been infiltrated by Tobiah and his evil plans, thanks to the cowardly actions of the appointed high priest. This is evidence that blood truly is thicker than water. Since water is our symbol of obedience, it leaves us with blood is thicker than obedience. 
Now let's look at the financial compromise. As proof in our text, the money or the love of money is the root of all evil. To buy anew this immovable truth. Nehemiah was wise enough to know that when relationships are compromised, the love of money is hidden in the walls of relational deception. As they say, always follow the paper trail. Let's review Nehemiah chapter 13 verse 10. It says, I also discovered that portions of the Levites had been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. Fact, in Nehemiah's days, the people who served in the temple were called Levites and drew their living from the temple. These were the paid workers of the temple, and the tithe paid to them was from the worshipers. Since the money managers redirected the funds, the foundational structure that God had put in place scattered the Levites to the surrounding communities, no longer serving in the temple of God. Big mistake. Ultimately, this shift in money funded Tobiah while starving the Levites of their God-given rights to be paid by the high priests and the temple managers, who had redirected the money toward Jerusalem's enemy, all because blood is truly thicker than water. Now let's take a look at secularizing the Sabbath. The shift of financial gain for the non-religious shifted the worship of the Sabbath to that of a secular framework. Remembering the people committed to God, Nehemiah and Ezra, to observe the letter of the law of the spiritual day of rest. And of course, in our calendar, that is Saturday. As Nehemiah walked through the streets, he noticed that the Jews were back to their nasty habit of working on the Sabbath, making money from God's day of rest. God not only was supportive of Jews making money, but he also refused to support the Jews making money on God's most holy day. That's the Sabbath. Meaning they could make as much money as they wanted any day of the week, However, no money was to be made from Friday evening at sundown to six o'clock on the following evening. Nehemiah was so offended by this debauchery, he was willing to use force to stop this illegitimate practice. Which more is said about that in verse 21. Finally, number four, domestic disobedience. Out of all four, this is most likely the most hard-hitting issue. Verse 23 says, In those days I also saw the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Not good. As for God, who you marry is of the utmost significance. Religions pass from women to children and Nehemiah, knowing this, declares war against this wrong. 
fact, the Jews were supposed to refrain from intermarriages to maintain the solidarity of their race, to keep it as pure as possible. Furthermore, interracial marriage had brought tragic results on the children's children. Who you marry declares the God you serve. Marriage involves the language of the people, intermingling of customs, and actually from these customs are the practical applications of what God rules the hearts of the people. As in King Solomon's lesson that he had to learn from the Lord, who you marry determines the direction of the God that rules your household and your kingdom. Avoiding passivity. When a leader is not present, passivity becomes the default of function. Thus, in my playbook, passivity is the greatest enemy of God's people. In concluding our series, Nehemiah's closing message to leaders and followers becomes relevant at best. All leaders who play with the edge of passivity play with an investment that soon becomes impotent. Meaning, all the work invested becomes for naught if the leader does not remain at war with the four pillars of leadership deconstruction. And those four pillars are, number one, Nehemiah faced the wrong he encountered head-on in all cases. Number two, Nehemiah dealt with the wrong directly, severely, and emphatically. Number three, Nehemiah did what was right despite the rejection of the people. And finally, number four, Nehemiah not only worked toward a permanent solution of correction, he always followed up the wrong with prayer and dependence on God himself. Now let's review the four points of victory. Number one, relationships. Nehemiah never compromised the truth over relationships, something he is known for resisting to this very day. Number two, money. He was quick to avoid the compromise of money for progress. And then number three, the Sabbath. He refused to compromise the ordinances of the Sabbath. He knew it was holy. He cherished it and kept it in play the entire time he was in the city. But for some reason, when he left the city to go back to be a cupbearer to the king, all things imploded in and upon itself. Number four, domestic. Nehemiah kept to the rules of God regarding intermarriages. Pure bloodline marriages have always been very important to God. It also happens to be one of the leading temptations that God's people have suffered with through the ages. King Solomon's mistakes are clearly an example of what not to do. In conclusion, biblical observation must come before human understanding, and it must come first. 
Honesty must be matched with spiritual conviction, not common sense. Quality leaders cannot tolerate people doing their own thing. An unbending leader reveals the unbending God and all of the rules and function that are provided for God's people that they are required to serve with and in. When leaders are courageous in their convictions, they must be tempered with a deep devotion to the living God, not to their land, not to their city, not to their family members, not to their friends, but to the living God. This only can be displayed in serving God from the knees up. And Nehemiah was certainly known for that. Our world is filled with a fearful and confused selfish humanity. Most act as shepherdless sheep, begging for a leader they refuse to follow. They tend to cry out for a leader, but find themselves in a constant state of resisting the leader that God puts in place to protect their lives and save them from the modality of leading their leaders from the bottom up, a madness method God will never support. If there is one thing that you should take away from this series, it is when God answers your prayer by giving you a leader. Honor this leader until death parts you. Even though you might not understand their methods of victory, go with it, stay with it, and remain faithful until the end. If you do, you might find an everlasting reward on the other end of eternity awaiting you. We thank you for joining us in our series of Hand Me My Sword. This is a perfect setup for the next series that we will start immediately, and that is our study on the book of Daniel, with a special emphasis on the tale of four kings. We hope that you continue on with this as we cover the Old Testament eschological facts awaiting us as we explore how these eschological points of interest simply roll right into the book of Revelation in the end. Until next time. just a boy when I came here. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise and bring you back to this land. Who are you, old man? I am Daniel. I seek to tell you a story. A tale of four kings. One great, one foolish, one who was deceived and one who is destined to be regarded as wise for all the ages of the world to come. During those many years we were living in a foreign land, speaking a foreign language and living under a foreign king. 
king. I've heard of this man. Oh, Lord, our righteous, yet we rebelled against your command. Jerusalem has sinned greatly. As punishment, we shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. 70 years is a long time. King's executioner will be in the chamber. If you are found unworthy, you will be executed on the spot. You dare to defy me? Let the furnace be heated sevenfold. Find them and cast them into the fire. It's the Babylonian way of conquest. You take away the leaders and the rest can easily be governed. The Lord God will strike you down like an enemy. Anyone who prays to any god or man shall be thrown into the lion's den. Why did I consult you before passing that accursed law? Take him away! Why has the king issued such a harsh decree? Am I now to kill my most faithful subject? I call upon your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. Hear my plea. Redeem my life. to promise is to always love our God and be obedient to him. Have faith, my brothers.